Last week, we began this new sermon series called Open the Graves, right? where we were declaring that God will raise up our dry bones. We have to get ready. That's why open the graves, right? We have to get ready for the resurrection. Last week, we began the series by looking at the beginning of the story in the garden where we saw the relationship between humanity and God had fundamentally changed. Sin had entered into the world, and it all comes back to two things. Number one, we have misunderstood the purposes of God's commands. And number two, we have believed the lie that we could decide right from wrong on our own. The result is that we have not loved God with our whole hearts. And we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have sinned. Choosing the path of death over the life, the freedom of the life with God. And so this is our current situation. We are like those dry bones in the valley in Ezekiel chapter 37. We cannot have life unless the Spirit of God breathes new life into us again. We cannot have that abundant life of freedom with God unless God begins to act. But in faith, we declare that God will act. And that's where we left it last week. We we left it at that. And today we're going to be continuing the story of God's great actions all on our behalf so that we might come to participate in the fullness of the abundant life freely given through him. Now, before we get up to today's story, I think it's going to be helpful for us to sort of give a recap of all that's happened between Genesis 3 and Exodus 17. That's a big difference. It's a lot of years gap in between that. And the difference between these two passages is so big that it's really almost jarring. Right? Last week, we were in a garden. This week, we're in the wilderness. Last week, it was just two people, the man and the woman. This week, there's this huge group of all of these Hebrew people. They're wandering in the wilderness, and they're talking about Egypt for some reason. So what's going on here? Where, how did we get here? What's happening? We're not going to spend too much time, but just to do a 50,000-foot flyover, hit the highlights, uh, we see that God, in His grace, raised up this nation by miraculously providing a son through a couple named Abraham and Sarah. They lived in the land of Canaan until a famine in the region around the year 1800 BC. Uh, It it left them to, it forced them out of Canaan to seek refuge in the land of Egypt. And for a few hundred years, the Israelites were welcomed as guests within the land of Egypt, all because of this one man named Joseph. He was a Hebrew boy who was brought to Egypt as a slave and eventually made his way up to being, becoming the leader over all of Egypt. Kind of like how um, England has the queen, but also a prime minister, right? We can think of Joseph as the prime minister underneath Pharaoh, of course. And so there in Egypt, the Israelites grew as a great nation. They, they greatly increased in number, and they lived happily until this new pharaoh, he came to power. And he didn't like these foreigners living in his land. He said, there's too many of these Hebrews here. We, they aren't really benefiting us. And if we let them keep growing, soon they're going to outnumber us. They don't care about us. They'll join the enemy. They'll fight against us if we go to war. And then they'll take our country and leave. 
That's basically what Pharaoh says in Exodus chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And so this new Pharaoh enacted all of these policies that were um, put in place in order to control the population of these Hebrew people. He decided to put them to work, forcing them to work as his slaves. And so the Israelite people were put to work by Pharaoh, building Pharaoh's infrastructure until around the year 1200 B.C. And that's when God called this man named Moses to bring his people up out of their oppression in Egypt. And so God sent these ten plagues, each of them to... Uh, show God's power over one of the Egyptian gods. They weren't just 10 random things. They were each one specifically targeted to an Egyptian god. And then the Israelite people were set free into the wilderness. And when we get to Exodus 17, it's about two months after they had crossed the Red Sea on dry land. It had been about one month since they had camped at a place that had water. And now it seems that their water reserves are all dried up. They came to Moses. They said, there's not enough water here for everyone to drink. Moses, if you don't find us some water, people are going to start dying here. Can you imagine how scary that situation must have been? They're out in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere, what they thought of as uncreated land. Everywhere they looked was dry desert. Sometimes I put off going to the grocery store because I don't feel like making the walk to my car. Anyone else be there? Yeah. I can't even imagine having to walk for an entire month. You're not even sure where you're going exactly, but each day, each day your water reserves are getting lower and lower and lower until one day you tip the canteen back and all that falls out is just a single drop of water. And then a day passes And then another, you're exhausted, you're dehydrated, you need water. You know, they say that the human body can only last for three days without water. And like, that's the max. If if you're exercising, that number only goes down. That's why these people began to quarrel with Moses. They began to fight with Moses. One of their most basic needs was not being met. Right? At first glance, it almost seems like these, the Israelite people here are like a kid who's asking his dad for a cup of water at bedtime. Right? So maybe he can get five more minutes before he has to go to sleep. But when you think about it, this is a real need. These Israelite people, they're thirstier than I've ever been. They're probably thirstier than any of you have ever been. And because of that, they got angry. Moses, give us water. Why did you take us out of Egypt just to kill us of thirst? Makes me wonder, have you ever taken a risk on something, but now that you're in the middle of it, you wish you never started in the first place? Things are a lot harder now than you thought, and now it's actually starting to hurt. Every day is becoming more and more and more of a struggle. You thought this change was going to be the best thing in the world, right? But now... You're looking around, and it looks as if it's almost just a more painful way to die. You ever been there? This is where the Israelite people were. Two months ago, they 
proudly marched out of Egypt in full view of everybody. They, they put their trust in God and they put their trust in, their servant Mo, in God's servant Moses. They thought that they were marching to freedom. But now, now that they don't have water, they're beginning to regret even ever leaving. Moses, why did you have to bring us out of Egypt just so that we could die in the wilderness? I mean, things weren't great for us back then, but, but at least we had water. Now we have nothing. Here's what's happening there. They're letting their current situation steal their gaze away from the place that God is taking them. They're letting their current situation steal away their gaze from the place God is taking them. Two months ago, they left Egypt for good. Now they're traveling inland. And where are they going? They're going to Mount Sinai. They're going to the place, the holy mountain, where God is going to reveal his character to them in the form of the law. And remember last week what we said about why God gives commands. It's so that we might participate in the best life imaginable. Their destination was life with God. But to get there, they had to walk through the wilderness. See, change requires a long, difficult, and often painful process. We don't really like to think about that. I mean, think about how many times you've seen a commercial for a new exercise equipment, right? They always show you the before and the after pictures. But they almost never talk about the months or the years that it took for that person to get from before to after. And almost undoubtedly, that one exercise machine is never going to get you from the before to the after all on its own. It's going to take a, a variety of exercises, a careful diet, and you'll have to track every little step in order for you to see that degree of change from before to after. But see, we don't like to talk about that. Change is a long and difficult process. It's a journey through the wilderness. We can't just snap our fingers and get where we want to be, right? That's why if you've never exercised before, right when you're in the middle of your first regular workout session, you're not thinking about those before and after pictures, right? All you're thinking about is how much you miss falling asleep on the couch with your hand in a bag of Cheetos. You're not thinking about the, the, how good the end result is. See, the process of change, no matter how important, no matter how good the end result is, process of change, it's never met without resistance. And when we feel that resistance, we want to take our eyes off of the end result and begin to look back to where we came from. In Matthew chapter 14, <clears throat> the disciples are <clears throat> excuse me, the disciples are in a similar position. In Matthew 14, the disciples are out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They're they're in the middle of a storm. When they looked out on the water, they saw a figure that looked something like a ghost walking on the water. They got afraid. But that ghostly figure, it called out to them in a somewhat familiar voice. It said, don't be afraid. It's me. It was Jesus, right? They, they couldn't believe it. So Peter, he says, Lord, if it's really you, then tell me to come out to you on the water. And so Jesus says, come. Peter steps out of the boat. He begins walking on the water, but then something happened, right? 
he looked around and he saw the wind. He saw the waves around him. He got scared. And Peter began to sink. He wanted to come closer to Jesus. But once he was out there standing on the, wind, on the waves with, with the wind all around him, he suddenly remembered why so many people travel by boat. He let his fear amid the process shake his gaze away from Jesus. And it caused him to sink. Jesus grabs him. He pulls him up. But before they climb into the boat, Jesus looks him in the eye and he says, You of little faith. Why did you doubt? The process of change is long, scary, and exhausting. It's painful even. We can find ourselves in the middle of the wilderness saying that we miss Egypt. Things were better back in the old days. Why can't we just go back? We can take our eyes off of the goal and we begin to sink. But listen here, the fact that the Israelites were in the wilderness without any water does not mean that God had abandoned them. Following God's plan, but they, but they began to doubt regardless of that. You see, following God's plan seemed great when they had plenty of water, but now they're thirsty. And they said, Moses, it's all your fault. So we, if we're going to die out here, then you ought to be the first one. See, when change isn't going according to what we had hoped or, or when things aren't moving as fast as we would like or, or even when things are becoming increasingly more difficult, painful even, when you find yourself in that place, look to God. Look to God. See, if he had a plan to bring you out of Egypt, then he has a plan to give you water in the wilderness. If God had a plan to bring you out of Egypt, God has a plan to bring you water in the wilderness. And so in verse 4, we see that's exactly what Moses did. Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. <laughs> it's the prayer of pastors everywhere. <laughs> see, Moses is scared. When, when people get desperate when their needs aren't being met, right? Think about all of the apocalypse movies you've ever seen. Or I guess you can just look around right now at the people fighting in the grocery stores. It, it's funny, this, I, I told some of you this, but the past week I was in Walmart, and uh, it's funny to see the things that are selling out versus the things that are staying on the shelves. Anyone else notice that? When I was in Walmart, the, the, uh, they were completely out of toilet paper, uh, and they're completely out of ramen noodles. And the toilet paper aisle even had two abandoned carts in it, like, a, like some post-apocalyptic movie scene. Um, but they were out of hand sanitizer, ramen noodles. But funny enough, they had plenty of canned vegetables, and they had plenty of, uh, if you can believe it, plenty of hand soap. <laughs> I think that's funny. Um, but see, the point is, people get desperate when they don't have their basic needs of life. And so Moses prays to God. He says, God, what do you want me to do with these people? And I love God's answer. He says, give them water. <laughs> Take some of the elders. Make sure you have with you that staff, that the one you use to, to strike the waters of Nile. 
and go. I'll be on that rock, strike that rock, and water is going to flow. There's a few things that I want to point out here. First, God tells him to grab his staff. You know, the one that is famous for removing water and making water undrinkable. Right? Remember when he used it in the Nile? The, the, God alludes to this event in the Nile where Moses struck the water and the water turned to blood. And thereby killing the main source of water for the people of Egypt. I mean, if you're trying to find water, this staff seems like the last thing you want to bring with you. Maybe it's just me. But that would be the last thing that I would want near water. But also a second thing, God's solution for a shortage of water is a rock. Think about that, a rock. Last time I checked, that was the exact opposite of water, right? I mean, God might as well have led them to a pile of saltine crackers. A rock. Everything about God's plan seems counterintuitive. A staff that famously ruins water. A rock, which is the exact opposite of water. And see, here's the thing. God has a tendency to provide for his people in the least expected way. God might just, when we, when we pray for something, when we pray for something, God might just lead us to an answer that seems like it's the exact opposite of the thing we want to do. But our job is to have faith. God's plan was not the answer that Moses expected. But it turned out to be exactly the answer that they needed. Moses did what the Lord said. He, he struck the rock and the water began to flow so that the people could drink. It didn't make sense, but he obeyed and it worked. There was enough water for them to all drink freely. By the way, that's two million people about enough water for them to drink freely. God always provides for the needs of his people. God always provides for the needs of his people. We might be following God's plans and we come to a point in the wilderness where things just stop making sense. We, we look around, we start thinking, you know, none of this really looks safe. None of this, we don't have any of the resources that we need to keep going. We're not seeing the results that we begin to expect by this point. And so we begin to doubt. We might even begin missing our time back before we even started the journey. When we are there, and I think that there are many of us that might be there this morning. When we are there, two things. Number one, look to God. Like we said, if God has a plan to bring you out of Egypt, he has a plan to provide water in the wilderness. And then number two, trust his plan. Even if it seems counterintuitive, even if you think that you can come up with a better plan, trust God's plan. Because like we said last week, God always has your best interest in mind. Look to God and trust his plan. And if we do that, then God will provide for our needs. Amen? Amen. Exodus 17 is the story of God providing exactly what the people needed in a way that they could have never done on their own.
in Genesis, or if, if Genesis chapter 3 was the story of humanity making all of the, beginning to make decisions apart from God, then we can see the rest of Scripture is the story of humanity yielding that power, yielding to God's plan so that God might provide exactly what we need the most. And I think a common theme that we're going to see throughout the rest of this story will be that God often provides things through unconventional and unexpected ways. Right? A rock that brings water. A young shepherd boy becoming a, a strong leader. Humanity becoming the dwelling place of God's spirit. And most importantly, the death of an innocent man to bring about life eternal with God. A few months back, I preached a message on the book of Jonah, if you remember, where I emphasized the danger of putting God into a box, of limiting God to our own expectations of him. And this, what we see in Exodus 17, this is exactly why that's so dangerous. God's answer to their problem of water was a rock. Moses could have said, nah, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not doing that. He could have organized a whole search committee to bring water. He could have round up all of the containers and, and sort of rationed off what little water they did have left so that it might last long enough for them to maybe find a new source of water. He could have done it all on his own. Or he could have taken his staff and struck the rock. Following God often requires stepping outside of our own intellectual boxes of how we know the world works. Stepping outside of those boxes so that God can work the miraculous. God will always provide for the needs of his people. And that, friends, is why we know that God's plans are worth following. And therefore, in times of doubt, in amid seasons of change, we look to God and we trust him. Because God will raise these dry bones. But he's not going to do it in the way that you expect. He's going to raise us to life through the death of God's only son. Look to God and trust him. And you will find the strength to continue on the journey.